Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Software Water Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Alison Okamura. I'm a professor at Stanford University, and I do research on soft robotics, of course, as well as haptics and medical robotics and various methods for human-machine interaction. I originally come from Southern California, Riverside, um, in the United States, and I did my undergraduate degree at UC Berkeley in mechanical engineering and then did my PhD at Stanford University. After that, I was a professor at Johns Hopkins University um, for 11 years, and then I moved back to Stanford Mm -hmm. as a faculty member and have been here since. Ah, great. So we would like to know what is actually work soft robotics recently working on. Yeah, Yeah, so in my lab, uh, we have a few soft robotics-related projects. I think one of the uh, ones that is most exciting and fresh for us are growing soft robots. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually when I say growing, I use air quotes (laughs) to describe Mm -hmm. it. Uh, because it's not as if we add uh, or create new material in the way that a plant or an animal grows. Mm. Uh, But what we do do is create a plant uh, biologically inspired uh, robot where it's made of a long, thin, flexible plastic uh, tube. And the idea is we feed more of the tube material through the center and then it's pneumatically driven such that as new material comes through the center of the tube, it everts at the tip and it effectively creates growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, probably the main project we have in soft robotics right now. Uh, but previously we had done continuum medical robots, mm-hmm. um, which I think I didn't really characterize as soft robotics at the time. Yeah. But think- steerable needles and concentric tube robots, which are made of much, much stiffer materials than what are typically associated with soft robots, uh, but yet are highly flexible um, and in some cases super elastic. Mm-hmm. And the continuum properties of such robots, which would allow them to go along curved paths uh, within the human body. And the the other soft robotics projects that we've been working on are more related to haptics, I guess, than robotics. Mm -hmm. So making surfaces that can change their shape and mechanical properties using silicone rubber um, and pneumatics, uh, as well as wearable devices, uh, which can stimulate the skin um, using soft materials. Mm, that's interesting. So we would like to know why you choose soft robotics. So you you basically mechanical engineering background. So how and how you become interested and in to pursue a new research group and this research soft robotics? Yeah. Sure. I think I tend to be very inspired by applications and use cases. And so the very first work we did on continuum flexible manipulators for mm-hmm. medicine 
were actually driven by seeing what happens to regular needles when they're inserted into soft tissue. Mm. So a normal needle has an asymmetric tip to it, a kind of bevel on the tip. And when you push it into soft tissue, it tends to veer towards the direction of the point because of the asymmetric forces on the tip um, and the reaction forces coming from the surrounding tissue. And realizing that that was both a problem for needle insertion because it would sometimes prevent the needles from going straight, but also a feature that could be used uh, where you can harness that flexibility in order to effectively steer a needle in soft tissue, uh, maybe realize that we should purposely make the needles highly flexible and that would allow us to, to actively steer the needles around obstacles and to targets mm-hmm. that you wouldn't be able to reach by a straight line path. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so that's kind of a very um, observation, application-driven um, kind of discovery. Uh, but then there are other cases, for example, the growing soft robot that I mentioned, where we were working on a different project entirely, where we knew we wanted a soft actuator. We wanted something that changed in length and would mm. also be highly flexible. And at the time, um, Elliot Hawks, who's now a professor at UC Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. was my postdoc, and he said, uh, well, I'm going to come up with as many different ways as possible to make a soft, elongating actuator. Mm. And one of the effects that he discovered or, or rediscovered, because other people have used this technique as well, mm. was to um, have growth by tip eversion. And although that particular actuator didn't work at all for the mm. application we mm-hmm. were interested in at the time, when he prototyped this, um, we really immediately realized its potential and then kind of went in a new direction. And that was sort of a, I would say, inspiration for soft robotics based on discovery. Um, we didn't, we weren't intending to build that, mm-hmm. um, but it sort of happened. And I can give one other example, which I think is really would describe a third approach for getting into the field. And that was um, an approach by example, actually seeing something else that other people had done with, with softness. And in this case, this is for the, the soft, changeable haptic surfaces mm-hmm. uh, project I mentioned. We saw the work that had come out of Cornell and iRobot with a soft universal gripper based on particle jamming. Mm. So this is the case where you take a thin, flexible membrane like a latex balloon and you fill it with a granular material like sand or coffee grounds. Mm. And then by vacuuming the air out of it, it would become very stiff and it could be used as a universal gripper. So Mm. we saw that and my immediate thought was, well, we have this challenge with medical devices like endoscopes that we would like them to be very flexible at one point in time, and then we would like them to hold their shape so that you can apply forces. Mm. And so we began to try to make long, thin, tubular structures filled with granular material Mm -hmm. so that we apply this type of particle jamming. Um, It turned out that other people had already been doing the same thing, and we also found that that particular form factor didn't work well for particle jamming. And seeing as we were also not just doing medical robotics, but also haptics, um, we began working on the idea of having shape-changing surfaces Mm -hmm. for 
display. Uh, so rather than creating a medical device, we started making medical simulators that could mimic the torso of a human and change shape and mechanical properties using this particle jamming technique. And I should say we were also really inspired by the work of Sean Fulmer, who at the time um, was a PhD student at MIT in the media lab, mm. making some really nice particle jamming mm. surfaces. And we adapted that um, for our, our domain and in medical applications and simulation. So I think it's interesting. We've come at it from different approaches. One is very application driven. Another is uh, just wanting to fundamentally create a new actuator and then through lots of prototyping and a discovery process, finding a new method for soft robotics. And then the last one being observing what someone else had done in the soft robotics yeah. field and modifying and adapting it for our purposes. That's interesting. Actually, I would like to ask about shape changing service in medical application. If you simulate a organ of human like kidney or something, how you can make sure that they have the same physical performance, just the younger models or this stuff? Is it still uh, have them? Uh, you can do that with, uh, with the current technology you have developed in your lab? Particle jamming? Yeah. That's a great question. So exactly simulating the mechanical properties of tissues and organs is very challenging, and I wouldn't say that we've reached that point. Um, because the particle jamming technique allows you to vary the, the stiffness, or really it's more like a stochastic viscosity, I guess, of the material, uh, you can't necessarily get any desired mechanical property. Mm. But the way we like to think about it is that you can get a range of mechanical properties that can be representative. Um, and in addition, sometimes the particle jamming might be more appropriate for shape control and you would use some other method to display the actual tissue mechanical properties. But I think a larger point is, um, and, and this is, I would say, an open question about how to do this right in medical simulation, is sometimes uh, perfect realism is not necessarily what, mm. what we're going for. Um, in a way, there's uh, a good comparison would be medical uh, illustrations. So mm. there are medical illustrators that would, for example, draw how you should perform a surgical procedure. They would draw example images that would explain in a kind of cartoon fashion what to do. And the reason why you have a medical illustration instead of just taking images of a real surgery is that these cartoons are much easier to understand and more pedagogically appropriate. Yeah. And so also wonder if haptic cartoons in a way which um, convey the essence of what needs to be learned without being perfectly realistic is could that potentially be um, the more appropriate way to use haptics in training. Mm -hmm. So that leads to another question you, about the material, use particle jamming. So do you think you are more interested in design of soft robotics new materials or just design or develop control algorithms to um, design the desired performance? So which one do you interested in, uh, control or designing new materials uh, that can elongate or something like that? Do you have thoughts about that in the future? Yeah. <laughs> That, that's a great question. Um, in a way, I would say all of the above, but um, there's also maybe another area, which is without really creating new materials exactly, it's sort of appropriating existing simple materials yeah. um, in, in new ways. Uh, 
you know, for example, our growing robot, it's just a plastic bag filled with air. It's, mm. you know, it's not fancy, smart material. It's um, really about someone like Elliot Hawks, like mm. cleverly noticing that you could get an effect if you sort of change up the geometry. And so I, I think it's a mix of all of them. Um, although I don't think we've done this very much in our lab, I think it's really important to collaborate with material scientists and folks who are chemical engineers, et cetera, who are developing the new materials themselves. Um, and conversely, I think the control systems, of course, are really important. Um, as we all know, with, with soft robots, it's really challenging to do precise control and so I think part of the challenge in control is understanding when you should use control yeah. and when you use the sort of embodied intelligence of soft materials and design a system such that it doesn't need to be highly controlled. And so when I think about the control problem in soft robotics, um, it's not just solving a control problem, it's understanding when to use control and when to use the, the sort of intelligent mechanics of the physical system to solve your problems. So I think there's a really interesting spectrum there. Mm. Um, we would, it's great when we can do soft robotics projects using um, relatively simple materials in new clever ways, mm. which um, maybe falls more in line with general design principles or kinematics uh, perhaps. Um, so I think they're all important. We've explored all of these <laughs> topics. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think as a, you know, going back to your point being that I'm a mechanical engineer and mm -hmm. we have a mechanical engineering lab, I think one of the most exciting things about soft robotics has been how it has enabled a kind of resurgence, I, I feel, in creativity mm -hmm. in mechanical engineering field as applied to robotics. There's so many interesting things happening in robotics right now. Some of them come from neural networks and machine learning and artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet all of this new creativity is also coming from the mechanical design perspective. And I think the sort of emergence and the integration of these new new and growing areas of robotics are especially exciting. Oh, that's interesting. So we would like to know for the recent research work, there are challenges. You would like to solve it already that's coming up. Yeah, we would like to know more about the challenges you already have. Uh, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think there are definitely a few, um, and some of them are not just related to soft robotics, but mm -hmm. more yeah, robotics on the whole or haptics as a field. Um, so a few of them are as follows. Uh, so one is that because so many soft robots, and including the ones designed in our lab, are run with pneumatics, um, creating portable power supplies, pressure and vacuum, mm -hmm. and just being able to make that an actuation technique, which is feasible, to be carried around on the body is, is really critical. Um, you know, an example is there are companies which designing pneumatic exoskeletons, mm -hmm. and then there's a large backpack associated with it. Uh, and if the exoskeleton itself can support the weight of the backpack, then that's, then that's great. Uh, but if there are ways to actually generate and store the required energy mm -hmm. and ways to deliver the required pressure, whether it be positive or negative, um, I think that's a, that's a big challenge. So often we, we yeah. cheat by having a compressor or hooking up to the compressor yeah. in our building. Mm -hmm. uh, 
which, uh, you know, for research purposes is, is, I guess, not really, not really cheating because it enables us to test a lot of things. But if we're going to be making marketable products, uh, we probably need to do a better job of creating uh, pneumatic sources that are wearable on the body. Yeah, that's interesting also. So you work in many projects, but we would like to know what's really the most interesting project you were recently involved in soft robotics. <laughs> sort of like asking which is your favorite child. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I would say we probably have the largest number of people in my lab right now excited about and working on these soft growing robots. Yeah. And, uh, and in fact, and of course, this is a close collaboration we have with Elliot Hawks at UC Santa Barbara. There's also other faculty. We're working with Sean Fulmer and Max Schwager and Jonathan Fan here at Stanford who are all contributing to things related to these soft tubular robots. And there are so many interesting challenges to be explored. Um, we have been able to demonstrate that growth through tip aversion lets you go through tortuous paths that other types of uh, either rigid robots or even snake-like continuum robots can't do uh, because with growth through the tip, you don't really have friction with respect to the environment. You simply um, add new material to the tip so the whole robot body doesn't have to slide through and across any surface. And that really simplifies and facilitates um, getting into tight spaces, going around curves, and, and basically reaching places other robots can't go. But there are still lots of challenges. Um, for example, if we want to do manipulation tests, we need to do a better job of figuring out how do we stiffen, selectively stiffen the robot in different directions. Mm. We need to be able to deliver therapies and medical applications or deliver cameras or sensors and mm. other types of applications. Um, and uh, we also need to figure out what is the best way to actuate these for steering. We have a number of different actuation techniques and a, and a pending patent on, on many of them. Uh, but we don't yet know exactly what is the best way to steer such a growing robot in lots mm. of different scenarios. And then I think the other thing that's really exciting about this growing robot um, uh, project is, is yeah, there's both the science of how do you make these robots, but what are they used for? So one of the things that I really got most excited about when we first started doing this project was medical applications. Imagine a catheter that grows into the body and could hypothetically cause less tissue damage because it doesn't have to slide in and out mm. um, through, through the vasculature. Uh, and I have former postdocs and students, uh, both Elliot Hawks and Tanya Morimoto are exploring this now in their own research labs at UC Santa Barbara and UC San Diego, respectively. So medicine is really interesting. I strongly believe that this can be a new paradigm for mm. search and rescue and disaster scenario robots. Uh, we could not only get to places where other robots can't go, but we could do things like uh, grow around and constrain rubble and hold it into place. Mm -hmm. While these robots are not strong in bending, they're quite strong in tension. And if you parallelize that, like you go around and around, uh, maybe an unstable structure, uh, the idea is that you could potentially hold it in place. Um, 
And then there are just a wide variety of inspection-related tasks uh, from the oil industry to mining to mm. looking inside engines mm. uh, and going places where you need a long, thin, skinny device that yeah. can be controlled and deliver something like a sensor or a camera mm. at the tip. And so I feel like this kind of robot just opens up a wide variety of applications that will both help industry and human health and well-being. That's an awesome modeling. So, so now software is interdisciplinary field. Through, how do you think we can overcome the challenges of speaking different language for material science and control expert or mechanical engineering? Do you think we have to overcome this? There's a problem, or do you think it's it's already? tackled already by different groups? Yeah, yeah so that's a good question. Um, robotics in general is a very interdisciplinary field, so in a way this is a challenge that we constantly have. Um, I don't necessarily feel that it's a, a global challenge, but one that sort of occurs daily on a local level, right? How do you structure collaborations with people yeah. in other fields? And um, and maybe it's not so much of a language issue for me, but um, an understanding of specifications. So, for mm -hmm. example, if I need a new actuator that would be created using a smart material that comes from someone in material science or chemical engineering, um, I wish that I could just have a set of specifications that I could hand them and say, this is what we need. Yeah. But we often don't have that. And then they may have an actuator that has like wonderful properties in many respects, but maybe it's too slow or maybe mm. it's too um, requires too much temperature change um, for the application. And so I think it's a matter of um, us in, in robotics and in the application areas, understanding the specifications of the types of materials or controls that we need um, and mashing that with what are the capabilities that can be developed. So it uh, tends to be uh, spending time together and talking through all of the details so that we can fully understand uh, each other. Um, but I don't know that that's something that can necessarily be solved on a global scale, um, mm. potentially through training grants or special classes, um, in medical robotics, uh, when I was at Johns Hopkins, we had these classes, engineering for surgeons and surgery for engineers, yeah. which was great because, yeah, you would teach the other. And so, you know, potentially you could do this with, with groups. Um, but I think because every research project is different and presents new challenges, uh, our main approach is really just to spend the time to, to talk and, and work through and make sure both sides um, are fully understanding of what the challenges are. Oh, that's great. So what the most important do you think soft robotics is promising by other social groups? So you work with many groups, so do you think what, what is the most really interesting project have been done so far by other groups in soft robotics here? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I'm going to mention two that I think are particularly exciting to me. Yeah. So one of them um, is uh, Jamie Pike 
uh, created uh, and her group with, with some students, and they have a startup company now, creating mm. these fold-away haptic devices where they're basically origami structures that can be very lightweight and yet display relatively high forces um, in order to give haptic feedback to a user in a kind of joystick-like fashion. And we were so excited about this approach that uh, we sent a student to Jamie Pike's lab for a few months, uh, Jake Suhosky, to learn her origami approach and see if we could apply that to other types of haptic devices that we were creating in our lab. So, of course, this is origami, um, which I, I think tends to fit under under the soft robotics category generally. Uh, but again, it's, it's sort of like using clever kinematics and clever design principles and maybe some new manufacturing techniques. Mm. Uh, I found it very exciting that the haptic feedback itself was just extremely compelling. Um, another example that some of my students are particularly excited about is using magnetic controls. Mm. Uh, People like Jake Abbott at University of Utah and Menton City at Max Planck mm. um, are exploring various ways of, of using magnetics to control robots, whether they be sort of soft, deformable robots or um, more rigid devices or swarms or groups of devices. And magnetics is attractive, of course, is because you can you can have an untethered um, actuator, essentially. Mm-hmm. And for medical applications, as well as a wide variety of other tasks, if we could better harness magnetics, um, I think that's also very exciting. It's also a very daunting field. I've tried myself to get into magnetics <laughs> control several times. And uh, yeah, the, phys- the physics are quite, are quite challenging and take a lot of expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there have been some groups that have quite successfully been demonstrating uh, things at the interface between magnetics and soft robotics. Oh, that's interesting also. So we'd like to ask you, now we are experts and have many, many projects of robotics. If you see the future, how you see soft robotics and how would you research soft robotics? How you could foresee it in the future? Sure. Well, I, you know, one thing that we've been pushing a lot in our laboratory is creating soft robots that do useful tasks. Mm. And so I think there's a balance between showing fundamentally new clever capabilities, mm. uh, but that uh, don't yet have an application versus robots that are actually in the environment, mm. in the field, helping people. Um, so I feel like a big challenge for the field is understanding how do we transition from so many interesting creative ideas into robotic systems that help people. Uh, and so in some ways, these are kind of systems engineering or application engineering problems. Uh, but myself, because I get so excited about thinking about how these devices will be used, it's really important for us to cross that bridge. Mm. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking um, to have a technology that's close, but not quite there. Um, many times recently, we've been contacted because someone sees our growing soft robot 
And for example, uh, a while back after the earthquake in, in Mexico, we were contacted by people saying, we saw your soft robot. Mm. Can you send us one? I want to put it into the rubble so I can search for my family. And <laughs> oh, yeah, it's I'm totally sorry. heartbreaking that we do not have anything yeah. to deliver such a person. Yeah. And of course, there are other amazing search and rescue robots, which are being deployed in such scenarios. Uh, mm. but, uh, but they also have, have their limitations, um, even if they are more ready for deployment than robots like ours are. So I think for me, a challenge is balancing, um, doing the kind of fundamental work that's appropriate for a PhD student's thesis yeah. and, uh, we'll get the papers versus doing some of the hard systems engineering to just get it to work for people because some of these ideas are either untested enough or it's not really the kind of um, scenario where it might get a lot of uh, funding or easy to spin off a company. You know, how do you make something useful for people uh, out of soft robots? I I think is an open challenge. That's really interesting point that you care about helping people. I think this point is really important. I think it's come later, but uh, I think this is really great to be highlighted that some people are interested in the growing robot for search and rescue and they wanted something. So this is something really great. Um, I would like to now to go to industry. Do you think that soft robotics can find its niche? Do you think they really is really interested to invest in the technology? Do you think this is really um, an index for that happening right now? Or what do you think yeah. about that? I think it's possible, and it, it kind of depends on the use case, right? Mm. Um, you know, part of the advantage, say, of the particle jamming universal gripper that I mentioned earlier is that it um, is a universal gripper and doesn't require the same kind of precision mm. that a rigid gripper might. And so it in the sort of like the new types of manufacturing, like small lots and personalized devices, it may be that the kind of the flexibility and the ability to deal with uncertainty um, of soft robotics could have have great advantages. Um, at the same time, if you want to look at existing traditional industrial applications like manufacturing and assembling automobiles, Right, that is a, a type of industrial application where it becomes harder to imagine how do, what what do soft robots bring to the table. Mm. So I, I think that the application of robots in industry is something that you know has to evolve with how industry itself is changing. And I, I do think the ideas um, that's happening now in industry of small lot manufacturing and personalized, customized uh, devices. Um, are are a field that could take advantage of, of soft robotics. And then on the other hand, um, as I mentioned, inspection and, and getting to places where other types of devices or robots can't go um, is also something that can be very useful for industry. Mm. Um, so I, I do think it's it's definitely it's definitely possible, um, but I don't think we get there by imagining an existing, say, automobile manufacturing plant and saying, how do we change this to use soft robots? Mm. And so you, you reimagine what manufacturing or industry is and uh, perhaps there you start to identify the correct design of, of the robot that's appropriate for it. Oh, that's great. So 
what is the most achievement you are proud of in soft robotics so far? You, you now, this is something you are proud of. <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm most proud of this uh, soft growing robot. Yeah. Um, I hope to be prouder once we see it actually deployed in environments mm. uh, people where people need it. Uh, but I'm excited, for example, my, my PhD student, Margaret Code, took a growing soft robot that she designed with the help of others uh, to a uh, an archaeological expedition in Peru and was able oh, to oh. sit and put cameras in places that hadn't been seen for thousands of years. Oh. So it's uh, an application. It's uh, getting close to the things that we would want to do in search and rescue and inspection, mm. uh, maybe not quite as sort of critical path as those. But uh, I'm very proud that we're starting to be able to deploy these in the field and get them outside of the lab and, and show that they can do useful things for people. Oh, that's nice. So the market now is interested in AI. So do you think how we can integrate soft robotics and AI? So, so as, as you mentioned, shaping services uh, or morphological computation terminology. So we can come up with new terminology that integrates soft robotics and AI. What do you think of this integration? We have to do that? Or? Well, so the way I see AI in robotics is, uh, especially in soft robotics, is it's um, a tool. So there's many tools that we can use. We have uh, low-level materials modeling. We have finite element methods. We have controls. And we have AI and learning. Um, and... You know, I think you can be a soft robotics person or researcher who yeah. uh, understands when you use the correct tool. And there are going to be times where certainly due to the difficulty in um, uh, fundamental modeling of these the behaviors of these continuum type robots that, that machine learning or AI techniques uh, could be used to help us control them. But there are also cases where maybe the physical embodied intelligence of the robot is the right thing to use. Uh, so I think for certain researchers whose goal is to, you know, integrate AI and robotics, um, as you mentioned, there could be some sort of terminology or language surrounding that. Mm. Uh, I think the larger question for me is just understanding to affect a certain behavior in a soft robot, what is the right path? And I don't mm -hmm. want to automatically assume that that path is machine learning. Sometimes it might be, but mm. not always. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. So back into the soft robotics and, and how we'd be really interested in growing robots you have done on your lab. Do you think how we can engage general public in soft robotics? There is something we have to do, uh, make them aware of soft robotics so you can design by own self. Do you have thoughts about this point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my lab is very interested in, in outreach and mm. being able to, well, for, for multiple reasons, right? One, one of them is to get people excited about our field. Uh, so and whether they join soft robotics or not, just being able to get them interested in science, technology, engineering, math type uh, type activities, that's, that's very important to me. Uh, but also in part because uh, right now there's a lot of fear and misunderstanding and uncertainty around AI and robotics and how they will affect our lives and the future of work, mm. um, both in this country and internationally. Uh, I think 
having people understand what we do is really critical for acceptance. Mm. So the question for, for how to engage the public, I, I think there are a lot of different ways and soft robotics is a really great, um, a particularly great path into it. Uh, so, so first of all, there um, are tons of soft robotics mm. videos available, and they're just quite compelling, and maybe because they're creepy in some uh, <laughs> circumstances, uh, but because they're often so biologically inspired and so lifelike, uh, people really find them fascinating. Mm. Uh, so, so just the, the, re- the research itself and the outcomes and the way that it looks tends to be very compelling for people. And for that, I think of it not so much as just how do we tell people about soft robots, but how do we use soft robots to get people excited about the whole mm. field of robotics and mm. not just picture uh, giant industrial robots that manufacture cars, but have people understand the creativity involved in mm. this in this field. Um, the other aspect of it is that soft robotics, and compared to other types of traditional robots, have the potential to engage the public because they can be relatively cheap and easy to make and understand. Mm. So you build a soft-growing robot without, you know, even knowing how to program an Arduino. Mm. Uh, you can create things out of very simple materials. So my lab, including students like Laura Blumenschein and Nathan Usevich and uh, Margaret Code, have done outreach programs where they've taught children how to make simple soft robots. And as I'm sure you know, there's Soft Robotics Toolkit and lots of resources online Mm -hmm. that will let people make soft robots. And you can do this with very cheap, readily accessible materials. And so soft robots can be an easy entree, even easier than um, other sort of more mechatronic approaches to get into the field. And uh, this means that more people will have access to understanding and using the technology eventually. Ah, that's cool. So now back to education. So you think we have to integrate soft robotics in the children's education. It is really important to be instilled in the beginning of their education, ill education. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say that I think soft robotics specifically, mm. um, you know, needs to be integrated in education. You know, yeah. otherwise our kids will be missing out on something. I, I think for young children, it's a matter of inspiration, and whether they get that inspiration from soft robotics. We also really like to integrate haptics in education mm. uh, because it's a very compelling interactive yeah. uh, kind of uh, kind of technology. Um, So I guess I wouldn't say that at a low level, students must fundamentally understand these principles, but it's it's a great inspiration. And I think the challenge with a lot of um, kind of cool demonstrations you can show kids to get them excited about STEM topics is they might never figure out how that connects to the math or the physics, um, or in some cases because they're in elementary school, like basic science that they're learning about. But because soft robots can be so simple, uh, we could use them as great examples that uh, connect, like here's a great technology that you can create if you understand these fundamental principles. And I think it's that connection, um, which haptics can also sometimes provide, that uh, 
really makes it valuable education. But, you know, it's sort of like as a, Mm. As that goal, learning about soft robotics is not what I would uh, what I would promulgate. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to ask you uh, what really makes you really passionate about your research. When you before as undergraduate student and now you are a successful figure in soft robotics, so what keeps you every day passionate and motivated to do research? What really sparked you and Uh, that's really, I think, interesting for many students and research uh, to know what 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 the reason makes you passionate all the time. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I would say that there's three things. Um, so the thing that got me into mechanical engineering and then robotics in the first place was a love for for physics and uh, and interestingly, I thought, oh, I might be a physics major when I entered school. <laughs> But then I thought, oh, the scale at which things happen in physics is at the scale, you know, interesting things are happening at the scale of the cosmos or at the scale of the you know, subatomic scale even. And I thought the cool thing about mechanical engineering is I felt like in primarily it operated at, at human scales. Mm. And so physics that I can see and interact with and have intuition for gets me excited. Um, so kind of on terms of the science and the technology Uh, being able to work with systems that are interactive with me on my human scale mm-hmm. are, 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 are very strong motivations. Um, but that said, um, you know, that's just one reason. I think the things that bring me to work every day now are, are twofold. One is, as I mentioned earlier, the idea that we could be creating things that, that help people. Um, on one hand, it's fun to be creative and just try new ideas, but having in mind that there are ways that you can help people with these devices is really critical, both for inspiring new designs and also grounding you and not letting you go off in directions that are too crazy mm. and essentially not, not helpful for people. Mm. So I think that creates an interesting, an interesting balance. And then the, the third reason, which is also, you know, more than anything, what brings me to work every day is uh, working with amazing students. So, mm. you know, this is not at all specific to soft robots, but being able to help students achieve their goals, helping them learn and uh, what, whether it's something that they'll be using in the future or not, but, but teaching them the process of, of doing research and, and creating discoveries and communicating those discoveries. Um, is uh, as an academic <laughs> primary mm. reason that I'm, uh, you know, doing what I do. It's the reason that I'm not, you know, working in a company or doing other things. I'm, I'm here in academia because I can most ideally tie my interests in the research and the science and the technology and being able to do the applications I'm interested in, not necessarily because it's a great product, but because it's something I can help people and connect that to teaching students. So, Being in this particular job in academia yeah. lets me uh, have the freedom to do all of those things. Oh, that's cool. So there's something you would like to tell us about Charm Lab, exciting, we don't know about it. What's the really exciting part of your research group with? Exciting, yeah. <laughs> oh, again, like I said, it's like picking your favorite child. Um, <laughs> 
so many exciting projects going on. No, no, exciting right? part. Something uh, we yeah, don't know. About yeah. 17 PhD students, and all of them are doing really interesting things. Um, but if I had to narrow it down to just the soft robotics projects, which is probably about a third of my lab, um, and aside from the Vine robot, which lots of, um, of work has already been published about, I would say some of the newer things in soft wearable haptic devices is really exciting to me. Um, in part because it's an interesting design problem, but also because of this human component. Um, it's helping us be more critical and detailed in our understanding of human perception. Because if we want to make wearable devices for the arm or parts of the body that don't encumber the hand, we need to understand human perception so we can create the specifications that are required for the soft robots that we would be designed to put on the body. Um, there's also, it's also related to rehabilitation robots, so soft wearable robots that can help people regain movement. So this general area of soft, soft wearable haptic devices and robots, um, I think is an exciting newer area for our group. Yeah, so, so we are at the beach supervisor. What are the qualities you're looking for the beach student? The basic qualities you, you would like to have in your student? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so for, for PhD students, um, it has to be someone who really loves discovery and is self-motivated and proactive to solve problems because mm. uh, the PhD takes a long time. If you include the master's component, it's mm. often five to six years. And, uh, and this is someone I would be interacting with on almost a daily basis <laughs> over that yeah. period. Uh, so it has to be someone who has a joy for what it is that they're working on. Um, I often feel that, you know, it's not that some specific technical expertise is required. I tend to want to build on students' strengths, uh, whatever they may be. Students come from diverse backgrounds in different fields. You know, I'm in the mechanical engineering department, but I work with people who had degrees in computer science and math and electrical engineering and bioengineering and biomedical engineering. And uh, so not everyone has the same background. Um, so what's more important than that background is the yeah, desire to learn and tackle problems, not sweep un inconvenient things under the rug, uh, but rather use creative problem-solving techniques and uh, sometimes a lot of grit uh, in order to tackle these hard problems. So frankly, a lot of it is personality. Yeah. <laughs> So we know that you are a really advocating woman in robotics. So what piece of advice you can give to women interested in robotics or soft robotics research in general? Do you think there is there's something that you would like to say about that? And um, uh, I would like also to know what your perspective about is there a gender disparity in soft robotics? Do you think we still have something? Still this issue exists or, or what do you think about it? Yeah. Sure. Yes, this is a favorite topic. <laughs> um, yeah, it, you know, in the robotics field, of course, and in engineering, in many um, many subfields of engineering, of course, um, there are very few women in the field. And um, while it has gotten better over the years, um, it's not nearly at the rate that we would like to see. Um, and and it's not that I have a particular 
target or quota in mm-hmm. mind. I would just like to see that everyone who has an interest and talent um, has the opportunity to do this kind of work if this is if this is what they love. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to enable discovery of this field for for more women. Um, that said, it's incredibly wonderful to see how I feel like in particular soft robotics there are is a large amount of diversity in mm. in this field um, and uh, I think we see that in part because it is such a creative field and because it's relatively new there's not an old guard that you know has a iron gate that you have to pass through in order to get yeah. out of this field yeah. The, the the there's no there's no real barriers to entry. You can come into it from lots of different backgrounds, mm-hmm. and so I think robotics and even more uniquely soft robotics has this potential to bring in a very diverse population of researchers because you can come from different backgrounds and you can make contributions. There's a lot of creative things to be to be done in the field. Um, so, so that's why I'm excited about it. I think the the advice I would give uh, to people who are in a minority group, um, really in any field, so this also applies to robotics and soft robotics, is that uh, while it can be hard to be maybe the only one in your room mm. or your race or your gender, yeah. that uh, that you capitalize on it. And and some people don't like to do this, but I came to realize that if I was the only woman in the class, mm. at least the professor would always remember who I was. <laughs> right? No one would forget me. Yeah. And when you're in the spot like that, like that, it can be very intimidating. But on the other hand, you you have that spotlight. And then the question is, what can you do with it? Can mm-hmm. you take advantage of that? Can you speak up? Can you make your voice heard? It may, in some cases, actually be easier to do that because you're an unusual quantity yeah. in that environment. And I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do, but I just encourage people to not um, shy away mm-hmm. if they're in a minority yeah. group. But to try to to use that and use their specialness to, mm. you know, put forward their perspective in a way that would be memorable. That's great. So, lastly, if there's a starting student in soft robotics or a starting researcher, what advice you can give uh, to a student a student starting in the field? Yeah, sure. Um, well, like I said, because it's a field that comes from so many different directions, um, what I sometimes hear students say is uh, that, okay, uh, I'm a new PhD student, but I'm not going to start research in this field yet because I don't know mm. A, B, C, or D. Like, I don't mm. know these things. I'm going to take these classes, and then I'll get started. My point of view is just get started. Mm. <laughs> Build your strengths, use what you know to start, and then you learn along the way. Mm. Um, And I think many of the most successful soft robotics researchers I see, they work a lot with their hands, they do physical prototyping, um, and, you know, anybody can play with popsicle sticks and old silicone yeah. rubber. 
And it's it, sometimes having those physical experiences are, are the best way to get going. But maybe if someone comes from a more computational background, you can then do simulations and maybe that's your playground. So basically what I encourage students to do is to build on their strengths so that they can come into the field from whatever direction they know, from whatever expertise they already have. And then you can build up as needed and perhaps more slowly the other things that you need to know in order to ultimately create the kind of systems that you want. And because every soft robotics project is different, we don't even necessarily know in advance mm. what the specific pieces of knowledge should be. Mm. So even discovering what you need to know as part of a research project is, is one of the fun things about this field. Mm, that's interesting. Actually, I would like to thank you for this uh, interesting talk. And uh, at the end of podcasting, I would like to thank you on behalf of IEEE Soft Robotics team. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you.